before I started coming here, I very much stayed in my comfort zone. Like I've never been very good at sharing like personal stuff and inviting people to church or you know asking for prayer praying for people out loud was something that was just like oh, i don't know if that's something I, sh I can do it was i think it was one of joe's earlier sermons when i started coming here he talked about getting out of your comfort zone and how you can't really grow in your relationship with god if you just try to stay in your comfort zone and i really took that to heart that's actually helped me get a lot deeper in my relationship with god you know, it's it's a little intimidating the first time you come here. There's a, it's a lot more people than than any church I've ever been in, and so between serving on different teams, on you know worship team, elementary team, greeters, um, you meet a lot of people when you actually get to um, get to build meaningful relationships with them. It's not just like oh, you know, we go to church with them, like but no, you like serve with these people. Being a servant is one of the best ways that you can show God's love to others. Um, whether it's, you know, making coffee or being a smiling person holding the door or, you know, something like that. I mean, you never know what's going to affect somebody um, and how much it's going to affect them. One of the early times that I was here, probably in the first five or six times, um, it was during ministry time. And, you know, they call people up if they need prayer or whatever. And, you know, I felt really pushed to go and, and ask for prayer but I didn't I didn't do it because you know that was that was uncomfortable for me it was inconvenient at the time and I was just like oh, I don't want to walk all the way up there and people are gonna be looking at me and so I just I just kind of sat there and was was fighting with it and um, about halfway through the, the ministry song um, I felt somebody like touched my shoulder and a lady asked if she could pray for me she said she felt that you know she had felt God calling her to pray for me and I was like oh, yeah yeah and so at that point I was I was really thinking like wow okay God you're pushing me to go get prayer and I didn't go and so you brought it to me so <laughs> I think I'm I think this is this is a community that I want to be a part of there you are. That is, that, that's our friend uh, Forrest, and we absolutely love him. And normally you see him up here uh, playing an instrument or getting involved, and, and uh, it's a blessing. It, it really is to hear him say that. He's also made my list of top favorite people that um, serve at the vineyard because he used the word inconvenient. Um, and those of you that have been around here for a while, you know that inconvenient is the word for this year. He realized that if he would do something that was inconvenient, if he would step out of his comfort zone, he would begin to see friends, his circle of friends would get bigger, his opportunities would continue to expand, and things would begin to happen in his life that God would have an opportunity. God is going to put you in a place where you have a decision to make. I believe that in 2019. You're going to have to decide to do things God's way, or, or you're going to continue to do what's comfortable for you. And, and if you're going to continue to do what's comfortable for you, you're only ever going to continue to get what you've got. And if you want something different to happen, you have to be willing to stop and say, you know what, I wouldn't normally walk over and pray for that guy up there, you know, with all the hair, and, and, you know, but I just really feel like maybe God wants me to go pray for him. And suddenly, things begin to change in your life. Now, you can manufacture the change but I would encourage you to grow close to the Holy Spirit. Begin to understand what the Holy Spirit is beginning to say to us here. It's a busy time for us as a church. It's a crazy time because everybody's out and about on vacation and having a good time. 
Pastor Janice and I um, had a wonderful time this past week. We hooked up with uh, Convoy of Hope, which is the uh, disaster relief organization that uh, Vineyard USA is building a partnership with. You heard her say uh, a number of times that we like to partner with um, people in the community, regardless of how big or small the community is. And Convoy of Hope is one that we are partnering with. And we just had a wonderful time. It's crazy how God puts you in places, very much like you're here today, in order for you to hear things that he needs you to hear. I honestly thought I was going um, on this horrible, nasty cruise up to Alaska last week, and it was going to be awful, and I was going to suffer for Jesus um, and sit through meetings and see wonderful things that I would never see before and eat food that I will never eat before um, and maybe never eat again. I don't know, but I was going to suffer for Jesus. But it's amazing that it wasn't just about that. It was a chance for the Lord to say to me one more time, Joe, Yes, we're aware that maybe, that, not maybe, I, I believe in all my heart that we are called to, to go and be the church that is physically in pennies, but he said, when you go back to Richmond, go back with the understanding that the focus continues to be people. Not that building, not this building, but it's always going to be about how do we care for the hungry, how do we care for the sick, how do we care for the widows and the fatherless. One of the things that Convoy of Hope shared with me that I was able to grab a hold of with my soul um, and, and cry my eyes out over watching them actually do it was the idea that their belief is nationally or internationally, no child should ever die on this planet of starvation because there is enough money and enough food to feed every child. And the second thing that is part of their mantra, they're saying, no child should ever die from starvation and no person should ever die without the opportunity to interact with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They may choose no, but it's the church's responsibility to make sure that they get the invitation. And I want to begin to talk about that today. I went to that, that convoy of hope, and I was on that boat, and there was 3,000 people, and 250 of them were there, and, and it was like, wow, Lord, what are you doing? And I'm just telling you, you know, you get on a boat and out in the middle of the ocean with 3,000 people, and there's, there's some people out there, I'm just telling you. And then we got off the boat, and we were in Seattle, and Seattle's a fun place to be, but everybody's not like the people in Richmond when they're in Seattle, not at all. Um, and you just have to stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. These are the people that Jesus died for. These are the people that Jesus loves. And these are the people that Christ still wants to save. And I want to talk about this idea that God wants us to come as we are. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Okay, those of you that are dads, hey, happy Father's Day. Those of you that have called this church home for a couple of years, you know that normally the, the calendar doesn't mean a lot to me. Woohoo, it's Father's Day, yay. Okay, okay, we're done, that's all. Now let's talk about what I believe the Lord laid on my heart to share with you today, okay? But happy Father's Day. I want to talk about a couple of guys because, you know, people come and they say to me, you know, Pastor, uh, I really would like to start coming to church, but, you know, look, look at me and my life. And, it, you know, when I get it cleaned up a little bit, then I'll, come, I'll start coming to church. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to say, I see where you are, and I want to lead you someplace new. I see who you are, and I want to transform you, not leave you. So in the vineyard we say, come as you are, 
but don't stay as you are. Don't stay that way. And there was a lot of opportunity for me to be reminded this past week as, as we traveled and got to meet new people and make new friends, and not all of them Christian, a lot of them Christian, but not all of them Christian. And, and just understand, this is who Jesus came for. And so this morning, I want to... I wanna, I want to pit two people against each other, not like have a WWF fight, okay? Not like that. I, I just want to take two characters from the Bible, one from Luke 18 and one from Luke 19, and I want to set them up next to each other, and I want you to look at the manner in which they interact with Jesus. And somewhere in this message, I want you to stop and say, which one came as they were but didn't stay as they were? And then I want you to say, which one am I? I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to say, oh, I'm that one, I'm that one. No, 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 no. When nobody's looking, which one are you? Which one represents you and what is it God's asking of us? So let's get into the story today. I'm going to take them one at a time, talk about them, then we'll meld them together and say, hey, what's going on? In Luke 18, beginning at verse 18, the scripture says this, a certain ruler, in one of the gospels it says, or one of the gospel accounts it says, uh, a rich young ruler or a rich young man. But here it says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered him. No one is good except God. Why are you calling me good? Jesus interacts with him. Nobody is good except God. And God alone. You know the commandments, and he starts down through them. Don't, uh, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And notice that these, these, uh, these scriptures that he just laid out there really quick right now were not scriptures that had to do with your relationship to God, but your relationship to one another. I just noticed that. Look at that. And so this is what he says. And look at this guy's response. Whoa, 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 whoa. All of these I've kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, but you still lack one thing. Sell everything you've got, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Now, every time I read this passage, every time I preach on this passage, I say this over and over and over again. Please note, this does not say sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. You can, but Jesus was not asking him to give everything he had to the poor and then come follow him. Now, he may ask that of you. I'm just saying, when you read this passage, don't read into it, he had to give everything to the poor because people just kind of do that. That's not what it says. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy, and Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter jumps up. Notice this. Peter jumps up and he says, Jesus, we have left all we had to follow you. And truly I tell you, Jesus replies to them. He hears Peter, but he replies to them. No one who has left home or wife or brother or sister or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And he says, I will take care of you in this age and I will be with you eternally in the age to come. You will get eternal life. And remember, that was the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus lays out the answer there and he does that. But look at this man. 
What do you notice about this man? The first thing that I notice about this man when I think about the next one I'm going to share with you is this man in his person comes in flattery. You see that? He comes to Jesus and he says, oh, good uh, teacher. In, in one account it says, oh, master, good master. Oh, good master. In front of everybody, put some big flowery. I'm putting the flowery on there for you. Oh, good teacher. And Jesus immediately notices what he's doing and says, why are you calling me good? He's kind of going overboard just a little tiny bit. Oh, you know how like when your kids come to you, if you're, if you're a dad, and your kids come to you and they say, oh, dad, you're so wonderful and you're like, all right, all right, what is it that I'm about to say no to that you don't want me to? See, you, they're flattering you. They're buttering you up a little bit because they want something from you. And this guy steps out in front of this whole crowd, in front of Jesus' disciples, and you're going to notice that. And he says, oh, good teacher, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, fine, let's just walk down through the Ten Commandments. I don't believe that he was trying to be exhaustive. I do think it's something that my brain will look at now that he started with um, um, how we relate to one another rather than with the first commandment that you shall have no other gods before you. That strikes me as interesting, but I do think that what he was saying is obviously you're here, you're a Jew, uh, it would appear that you might be a good Jew, and so you're trying to chase after God, so let's just cut right to the relationships that you've got. And he starts in on the relational laws of God and the Ten Commandments. And, and this guy's like, hey, hey, <laughs> let me just save you some time. I've kept those since I was a child. I don't know about you, but I can't say that. I cannot say, Lord, since the day I surrendered my life to you, I have never broken one of those Ten Commandments. It's been such a joy that I've never coveted anything, that I've never stretched the truth a little tiny bit, that I've never, and I, we just go right down through the ones that are relational, and we say, wow, what about that? I've never been able to do that. I think this man's a little arrogant to say, hey, listen, I'm the righteous one, Lord. You can see, and in my mind, he says, you want a piece of this, Jesus? Come on, you want some of this? Not like I'm going to fight you, but like, hey, you should be impressed with me. I poured and poured and poured my life into a young man that has come up and, and, and he was raised in a Christian home, but I, but I like to have people that I interact with at a, at a different pet church that I was at. And, and I remember I was talking to this young man about, uh, about when is he going to date and how's that going to go and, you know, does he really think that some girl's going to fall in love with him? And I was giving him, um, you know, a little bit of tease there. And, and I said, what makes you think that you're going to get a wife? And he stepped back. He was looking at me and he goes, who wouldn't want some of this? And I said, oh, my word. I said, well, if I was a girl, me for one. I said, come on, man. And, and so we had a big laugh about it, and, and, and we joked back and forth. But the point is, this is exactly what this guy is doing. When Jesus says, you know the law, you know this, you know this, and he's like, well, Jesus, I'm doing that. Look at, look at, look at me. Look at how righteous I am. Another thing that, that I think we need to under, understand is here is, is this man wanted to be justified, but he wanted to be esteemed in front of the people. I don't know about you, but if I wanted to know how to, 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 to uh, gain eternal life, I probably wouldn't do it in the middle of the crowd. I probably would walk over to Jesus, and I would pull him aside, and I would say, Master, uh, Teacher, Rabbi, uh, Jesus, uh, dude, what, what, what do I have to do to get eternal life? What, 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 what do I need to do? I would not stand over here in the middle of the crowd, and he's in the crowd. Because Peter's interacting with him as a result of this interaction. And he's standing in the crowd, and, and, and 
my eye, he's here for everybody to see. And he's like, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, you know the commandments. He goes, oh, <laughs> I've kept all those since I was a young man. You got anything else? Sure. Let's reach out and knock the table leg out from under your issues of trust. What are you trusting besides God for eternity? And he says, sell everything you've got. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you notice that it says that he went away downcast? He went away with his face cast down. He went away depressed in his heart. The Greek word means that his face was thrown to the ground because he was very wealthy. And immediately the conversation turns into wealth. I don't want to talk about your money today. I want to talk about the attitude of your heart that you come into the presence of Jesus with. And this man came in that way. He wanted to be esteemed, and Jesus said, all right, we'll do this one-on-one -on -one if you want to do it out loud. It's like, if you want to have a conversation in front of everybody, it may not go the way you want it to go. And so he has this conversation, and we see this person that comes to Jesus, and, and there's some pride there. And I'm not talking like proud, be proud of your work ethic. I'm talking about pride like I'm full of myself. Well, teacher, I do all that. I'm going to heaven if that's all I've got to do. What else? And Jesus says, fine. And he lays it out for him, and, he, and he's, he's, he's depressed. He's, he's discounted. His face is cast to the ground. It's like, wow. Flip the page over, and in the next chapter, not even a chapter later, Jesus leaves this young man. He does a teaching for his disciples about who can and can't get into the kingdom of heaven. Peter thinks, and the disciples are thinking, wow, nobody's going to get in if, if, if wealth is going to keep them out. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that's going to keep you in or out because what's impossible with you is possible with me. What's impossible with you is possible with God. When you say, it can't happen, God says, watch me. When you say, I'm done, God says, sit down. When you throw in the towel, somebody says, God said, pick it up and wipe your face off. We're just getting started. See? We've got to finish strong. And so in Luke 19, beginning at verse 1, so you know we haven't gone that far in words, but we may have in miles, we walk into Jericho. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. We're dealing with a wealthy man and a wealthy man. Two wealthy people, two captains of their industry, two people that have made a name for themselves, and, and I'm telling you, they, I'm going to go with, and they earned it as honestly as their culture permitted. I'm going to even go there today. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Both of them wanted to see Jesus. So he ran and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see, excuse me, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming by that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down here immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Oh, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. He's always running around with everybody but church people. He's always hanging out with that kind of a crowd. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, 
I give half my possession to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so we see Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. Zacchaeus was a short man. Zacchaeus was known in his community. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. All of these people wanted to interact with Jesus. Excuse me, both of these people wanted to interact with Jesus. Both of them came into his presence one way or another. Both of them got spoken to by Jesus, and Jesus wrecked both of their lives. Zacchaeus acted in the moment. He saw an opportunity, and he jumped at it. He climbed the tree. Zacchaeus didn't try to hide who he was. When he became aware of the sin that was in his life, he didn't say, oh, no, no, you don't understand. I surrendered my life to Jesus when I was seven. I know I've been doing drugs, getting drunk every uh, Friday night and sleeping around all the time, but don't worry, Jesus saved my soul when I was seven. He was not pretending. It's what I love about bikers when I'm hanging out with bikers. Raw bikers, not church bikers, okay? Okay, raw bikers. You know, the kind that when you say, hey, dude, let's talk about God. And they're like, well, I used to go to church. Man, there was a time in my youth when I would go to church. And yeah, I mean, I went forward and got saved one time. But I've, I've, I've been living like hell for the last 25 years. They will be honest with you. They will not lie to you. They will be straight up with you. They will tell you like it is. Some of them arrogantly saying, well, Man, I did that, but I tell you right now, I'm living my best life right now. I'm living for myself. I'm living it. And they will do that. But there's people that are hungry for something better. And they will begin to say, you know what? There was a day in my life when I used to. And that's what Zacchaeus did. I don't know that he knew that the Son of God himself was sitting in his living, I mean, in his dining room having tea and crumpets with him. I don't know if that's what was going on. But what I do know is Zacchaeus was aware that with that man sitting at the table, he was dirty and unclean. And he knew that something had to happen, and he repented. I don't see anything that says, and Jesus said, repent, come forward and say the sinner's prayer. Man, he jumped up and said, I'm on fire. Something's got to happen. I'm going to give up half of my kingdom. I'm going to give up half of my wealth. And if I've cheated anybody, Jesus, I'm going to give four times back. And I believe that there were people watching going, man, I hope he cheated me. I hope he cheated me. I hope if I can just remember he cheated me out of $4. Yeah, I get 16 bucks back. Yeah. I believe that there were probably people like that there. But this man repented. And Jesus made a big point of saying that this man, this man got saved that day. The other one walked away that day. This man got saved that day. Both of them wanted to see Jesus. Both of them actually interacted with Jesus. Both of them left different people because they were changed. Both of them came to Jesus just as they were in the moment. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. We need to come to the Lord humbly. We need to come to the Lord respectfully. But we need to come to the Lord empty-handed because God cannot fill up full hands. We need to come to the Lord empty-hearted because God cannot put something in a heart that's full already. We need to be willing to empty ourselves of our pride. 
of our arrogance and at times of our stuff so that God can give us the very thing. All he wants to do is give us the thing. When you won't let go of what you have, think about this. God can't give you what you want or need because you're hanging on so tight. And that's the difference in these two people. They came to the Lord on the one hand and said, listen, what else shall I gain? I'm a rich, wealthy, self-made man. I did it myself. Nobody's arguing that point. All that money belonged to that rich young man. Nobody said he didn't come by it honestly. Nobody said it wasn't his to do with as he pleased. Clearly it was. But there comes a time when the Lord says, are you trusting that money or are you going to trust me? Now listen to me, this is not a message about money. This is a message about the attitude of these two, the different attitude of these two people that come to Jesus. And, and, and my prayer is that God does something in your life. Not that you should leave and throw your money all to the wind. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is how you approach God. Look at me, God. And I was on a ship with 3,000 people. I got off and wandered all over Seattle. And I'm telling you, there's no place for me to look down my nose at any of those people. If I'm not hurting for them, even the ones I don't want to hang around with, if I'm not hurting for them, does Jesus live inside of me? And when I came back, as much as I'm hungry for us to be in pennies, as much as I'm hungry, the Lord said, go back and make sure we are focused on people. And so today I want to share some things with you. You don't get cleaned up before you come to Jesus. You don't do that. Again, I shared with you that people say that to me all the time. Oh, man, if I could just stop drinking, if I could just stop shooting, if I could just stop snorting, if I could just stop sleeping around. You know, God doesn't want me. My life is too messed up already. There's no way God could ever forgive me for it. Yes. Yes, there is. Because I'm here to tell you that he forgave me. And God always has a do-over for you. The rich young man got cleaned up before he came, and all his righteousness he spewed forth how cleaned up he was. Zacchaeus, he didn't get cleaned up. He climbed the tree. Who can come to our church? Who are you going to invite to our We'll grow a great church when you start inviting people to church. We will. We will. But who can you invite to church? Do they all have to think like us and be like us or do they all get to come to the Lord and we begin to let the Lord change them? Come as you are, but don't stay that way. See, Jesus looks out and he sees people that are hurting and, 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 and it makes his, his heart cry out. And it should ours. In Matthew 9, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. But this is the important part. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you think that Jesus doesn't see our sin? Do you think that Jesus doesn't see the attitude of your heart and the snarkiness of your words? Do I think that Jesus doesn't see how mad I get at people in the airport that just won't keep walking. That's all I want you to do. It's because it's like driving. Just get out of the left lane, please. But this was a week for me to just back up and, and just say, you know what? They're people. They're going through life just like I am. Lighten up on them, Joe. Lighten up. 
They don't have to get all cleaned up before. Jesus sees the attitude of my heart. He sees people as they are, and he loved us for it. Before, excuse me, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said, just come. You just come and walk with me. Come and walk with me. And then it begins that change inside of you that you want to be more like Jesus. Over and over and over, the invitation that Jesus makes is, come. But the point that he makes is, trust me. The invitation is, come. The point is, trust me. Second thing I want to share is that the presence of God has to change you. You don't have an, it's not an optional. You can't interact with Jesus and not be changed. You can't. It's not possible. You can come to God, and God can say no, and you can be the rich young man, and that rich young man walked away from Jesus changed. He did, but not for the good. I don't know if he changed his life later, surrendered later. I'm, I'm, I'm not going there. I'm just saying that at the point that he walked away from Jesus, he walked away changed. He hardened his heart and said no to God. Over here, Zacchaeus interacted with Jesus, climbed a sycamore fig tree, probably got like some, you know, skinned up knees or something out of the deal, had him in his house for dinner, and then as he interacted with Jesus, and Jesus leaves, Zacchaeus was changed for the better. But you cannot interact with Jesus and not be changed. And when the Lord tells us to do something and we willfully say, no, Lord, then we have to ask, is he Lord? And at that point, we're changed. Either with scar in a hardened heart just a little bit, or a heart gets softened and the Lord moves in, but it changes you. The rich young man, unmoved in his spirit, tried to justify or define himself. Zacchaeus, being moved in his spirit, became aware of his need to repent and let go, and he begins to worship. God is never accepting you as you are. He can't. Can that make sense to you for a second? God is never accepting you as you are. He can't. He is always accepting you where you are. You see, the one endorses and accepts your sin. The other anticipates you being set free from your sin. You see that? One says your sin's okay if I accept your, you as you are. But if I accept you where you are, then that one says, hey, change is coming. And it's going to be good for you. It's going to be awesome. And so we recognize that. This is my issue. This is the scriptural issue with something like homosexuality. Because we want to say, this is the way I am, and that's all there is to it. And it's like, but God wants to change us. This is also the problem with immoral heterosexuality. Because we want to say, this is the way I am, and this is the way God made me, and so I get to be this way, and God understands my sin. No. God recognizes where we are and says, let me bring healing, let me bring hope, let me bring you a life you never dreamed of, but it comes with change. This is also, by the way, the issue with liars. This is also the issue with cheaters and adulterers. This is also the issue with stealing. This is also the issue with um, gossip. It's also the issue with a stubborn pride. God is seeing where we are and wants to move us because he can't accept us as we are that's why Jesus came to bring forgiveness. I don't believe there's anything more repulsive to God, to be honest with you, than an un uncompassionate or proud 
heart. I believe that God wants healing for you, for all of us. And the question is, do we want to stand clean before God? The other thing is that freedom means change. It means change. Not just God is going to change you, but we don't like change. Biggest change I ever went through was in going from sixth grade to seventh grade. I entered what we used to call junior high school. I don't know. It, it's a, it's a, it weeds out the week, I think, junior high school. It does. I, I almost died in junior high school from being beat up and pushed into a corner. And, you know, that, that's when things like that happen. And if you can just get through junior high school in here. Listen, if you're in here and you're in middle school, I think that's what we call it now, right? But in my day, it was junior high school. If you're in here and you're in junior high school, if you're in middle school, you just got to get through. If you can make it out the other side, you're one of the victors. Yes. Run to the top. Be up there. Yeah, that's you. But a lot of change takes place then. And things that don't change don't grow. And that's very important. Life gets scary when God wants to change our lives, when he challenges us and who we're trusting and what our possessions are. Clearly, Jesus was addressing this rich man's life, and the issue was trust because the conversation continues to run over into trusting our wealth and what we've accumulated. Nobody challenges, like I said, the idea that he, he earned that. But Jesus says, truly, I tell you, that nobody has left home, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, children for the sake of the kingdom of God, they will not fail to receive many times much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. But I like the way that the psalmist put it in Psalm 20. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed and he answers from his heavenly sanctuary with victorious powers of his right hand. And this is what's important in verse 7. Some people will trust in their chariots and some will trust in horses. Some people will trust in what they've got what they've accumulated, and what they can do. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. What are you trusting? Your education? What are you trusting? Your ability to work? What are you trusting? The money that you've made? The resources you've put away? What are you trusting? What is it that you say, well, at least I've got, that God might say to you, hey, let me take that away from you and see where you are. In, for, in order for us to be victorious, we have to trust in the name of the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They trusted in the Lord. They trusted in his name. They trusted in who he is. Trusting in Jesus means living in the moment, not in the what if. So many people come to me and they live in the what if. I know, Pastor Joe, but what if, but what if, but what if? You know, most of you, those what ifs never come. And, and, and it's, just, it's just a means of saying, I'm going to protect myself. And honestly, that should be a flag. That flag should come up and wave in front of your face when you see and you begin to say, I know, but what if? You should back up and say, but what about God? But what about God stepping in? What, what about God saving me from a... From a, a a robber or a mugger what about God taking care of me what about if somebody steals everything I've got 
God gave it to me to begin with. What about God gives it back to me tenfold over again because I continue to approach it God's way? What about God says, change the attitude of my heart toward my boss? What about God says, be a better employee? What about if God says, do this? And I say, yeah, but if I do it, I'll have to do all the work because nobody else will work. Well, then probably you'll be the one that gets promoted. But if you act like everybody else, you'll probably get what everybody else has got. Trusting Jesus means living in the moment with Jesus. What if is fear. Trusting in Jesus means giving him control. We don't always like that. When the Lord says, go and do this, go and say that, go and give this. When the Lord says, I want you to walk up to somebody, like, like um, Forrest said, you walk up and you say, hey, I want to pray for you. That's a scary thing. That is a scary thing. Until you've done it a couple of times, and you're like, I wonder what the Lord's going to do this time. You stop saying, what about me? And you, you start wondering, what about them? Maybe God's going to do something in their life. And you got to be the vehicle that God did it through. But it means you give Him control. But what are you keeping in your hands? What is it that you approach God with? You say, Jesus, I surrender all, but don't touch this over here because this is mine and this keeps me safe and makes me feel good. And, and if you let me down, then I at least have this over here. What are you holding in your hand? The last thing is trusting in Jesus means accepting his answer and doing our part. We don't always like the answer that Jesus gives us when we ask for something. And I'm somebody that believes ask and ask and ask and ask and ask, okay? Oh Lord, 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 please, 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 like your kids. Papa, 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 papa. What? I forgot. We can ask God. But sometimes God is saying no and we keep asking till he gives it to us. And then when he gives it to us, we're like, oh, God, save us, save us, save us, save us, save us, save us. Why'd you let it? And it's like, because you asked for it. And then you demanded it, and then you got it. And, and now you're mad because you got it. And now you're saying, save me, save me, save me, save me. God's going to save you. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes he has to let us go through something so that we can learn something about trusting. I believe that God wants you to trust Him. It means giving Him control. It means accepting His answer and doing our part. I believe that God says yes sometimes. I believe that God says not now sometimes. And I believe that God says no sometimes. And I believe that He gives us those answers because He has our best at His heart. And we can trust Him. I believe that God wants to do something in your life today. I believe that somewhere inside of you something's been stirring. And I believe you've been wondering what it is that God wants to do in your life. Whether you've come in here and said, well, God won't do that for me. He doesn't see me, doesn't love me, doesn't care about me. But more than anything, I want you to know that you have not sinned beyond the power of God to save you. You have not sinned beyond the power of God to cleanse you. You have not sinned beyond the power of God to restore you. You have not made a bad decision beyond the power of God to put your life back together financially, emotionally, or relationally. You have not left God so far that He doesn't see where you are. And he's not calling you back or waiting for you to turn around because He loves you. But sooner or later, I'm either Zacchaeus or I'm the rich young man. 
I'm going to church, but I'm either doing it God's way or God's going to have to do it my way if he really wants it. And we have to decide who we are there, what we're going through. What is that thing that you bring before God today that you just think, Lord, please, 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 would you touch this in my life? Please. We want to pray for you. I want to invite you to come up to your feet. These people want to pray for you, but I want to pray before I step off this stage. Holy Spirit, I just ask and pray that you would be here with us. I just ask and pray that you would touch our hearts. Thank you for Father's. Thank you for Father's Day, and thank you for being our great Father. But more than anything, Father, we come to you. And you're that Father that won't leave us. You won't shame us. You won't ridicule us. You will put your arms around us. But you might say no to us. Because it's not what's best for us. And I do believe, Lord, that even if it's martyrdom, you want what's best for us. Because it's the age to come. It's the end game. It's the long view that you've called us to live for. And that's where we want to be. So as we bow our heads before you right now, we just say, come Holy Spirit. Fill us up to overflowing. Make us aware of your presence. And bring healing into that thing that we're hanging on to that maybe you want us to let go of. We ask this in Jesus' holy name.